Well, amen. If you got your Bibles with me, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, as we have been reading and studying Paul's letter to the local church, the local church that was, that was meeting in Corinth. And uh, every week we've been sort of biting a little section of this letter off at a time, and we keep that in mind that oftentimes we need to remember what's went on before us and what's going on after in a letter. And, uh, and so if you've got that with me, stand with me in reverence to God's Word as we, as we read together. Paul is now, remember with me, he has set the table of this letter to start with when he introduced it that about the gospel Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, and we have gathered this morning, we've been singing about that truth and the application of that truth in our life, and Paul starts the letter the same way we started our worship service, focusing on the gospel and who we are in Christ, and then now, brothers and sisters, we begin the application of God's word, which we have told sometimes involves formation and sometimes involves correction. And Paul, brothers and sisters, in this section is in correction mode. And so just to be prepare you for that. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin of a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Lord, these are convicting words. For all of us who believe that there may be with us and in us in our life and in the life of believers these freedoms that we are abusing for our own flesh, these blind spots in our own lives, and sometimes it is happening in the lives of our own children and those that we love. And God, we would say this morning, convict your people. Though they be not here this morning, or they are here, Lord, through your word and through the Holy Spirit, Lord, convict us, inform us to be the person you have designed us to be, to be the person you have destined us to be, to be the one who brings you glory in our actual bodies, in this one life that you have given to your people. 
Help us, Lord, to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we used to have a Suburban, if you've ever driven one of those, but those things have really huge blind spots in them. I backed into a tree one time at Christina's parents, and that thing was, I don't know, it was big. You know, you back into it, and you get out, and you look, and say, how did I not see that tree? It was right there. We all have blind spots. I was going to talk about blind spots in culture and past and present and but I want to talk to something very specifically today. And as I look around, there's not a, a person in this room that doesn't need to hear it. One of the greatest blind spots in our own lives and in the lives in the community of faith is that of pornography. Or what the Bible calls pornea, sexual immorality. And of its many forms Because of the age that I have two devices up with me here this morning. (laughs) We're giving our children internet access sometimes to the age of two years old. Listen to this. I take this. Let me show it to you. Josh McDowell. You can look him up online. He loves to give away statistics. He loves children. and Some of his research. 90%. Of 8 to 16 year olds. Have already been to a porn site. A global survey found that children as young as 6. Are already accessing porn. You, if you think about it. Our kids in schools have access to computers. They are doing their work with them. This one occasion. He was at a Christian school and there were 331 students between the age of 13 to 15. He asked them 20 questions and two of the questions was this. The first question, do you watch porn on the internet? Second question, if you do, do you want help or counseling to stop? The school responded back in shock and said, Josh, every one of our 13 to 15 year old Christian students answered yes to the do you watch porn question, and every single one of them answered no, that they won't help stop it. And if you don't think your young children are being affected by this, it is a blind spot in your life. It is with us, it is about us. In 2014, Barner Research showed extramarital, extramarital affairs and pornography use amongst professing believers are at an all-time high. Between 18 to 30 years old, men, 77% look at porn monthly and 30 36% look at it daily. And it is not a male problem anymore. Women, 56% of Christian women actively seek out porn between the ages of 18 to 24 They are one-third of all porn users. 64% of men say they were not interested in marriage precisely due to porn. Pornography runs the rate up of of marital infidelity by more than 300%. Corinthians and us are not that different, are we? The Corinthians were struggling with this. You see, the the culture, and we've already spoken about this, loved pleasure. And so naturally it bled out in sensuality, in what they would call satisfying all their appetites. And so in context today, 
The pornea that they are speaking of particularly is that of prostitution, of men who would go to prostitutes. And most likely in this culture, cult prostitution wasn't as high at this point in history than it was in previous. But what was high were these feasts that they would throw. And Paul's going to deal with whether food offered to idols. And so these issues are already on the table, so to speak. Food offered to idols, these love feasts, and at these love feasts they would have prostitutes and men thought nothing of it. This was part of their worldview. Listen to this one man, his name was Athenaeus. We keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for concubinage, but wives in order to produce children legitimately and to have trustworthy guardians of domestic property. Got to have someone to keep the house and the animals. And so we have wives. This was the normal in their culture. They had a dualistic worldview. A view, and you've seen it even today, nothing new under the sun. Yin and yang. Good and bad. And what they would do with this, was they would say, the real you, the spiritual you, the inner you, even your you of your mind, and they would even associate that in Greek thought with the logos, is good it's the eternal part of you. But the body, eh, you're just a vessel. It's not, there's no afterlife. Greek thought didn't ha- say that your bodies were going to be raised. So it didn't really matter <laughs> what your bodies did. This was the worldview of the culture. They began to permeate into the church. And we struggle with it today. And we call it Christian freedom. It's what was happening then. What's happening now. How is Paul going to address it? When, when there's something in our life that we're simply saying, well, that's not that big a deal, or the people we love are saying it and they claim the name of Christ, how do we deal with it? Well, here's what Paul is. It's in their main idea, recognizing who we are in Christ. We flee sexual immorality and we seek to glorify God. Listen, in our bodies, I'm talking today about your body. This was Paul. He is going to use your body. He's going to start here. Say that our bodies are united in Christ. And then he's going to use a couple of metaphors to try to help us understand how grievous it is to engage our bodies in things that do not glorify him. So here's what he does to start with. He starts in verses 12 by helping us understand that sinning against our own bodies are incompatible. It is incompatible with who we are in Christ. You know, I love one-liners. We're pastors. We try to get our, our, everything we're saying down as tight as possible. And advertising loves one-liners. Here's the point this morning. He's, he's engaging with some one-liners in the, in the Corinthians' lives that are easy to remember, dangerous to live by. So, I want you to talk to me for a minute. Tell me the name of the company. Just do it. Nike. It's finger licking good. Now that I'm going to make you hungry, you're not going to listen to me. Don't leave home without it. American Express. Reach out and touch someone. AT&T. Have it your way. Burger King. I challenge you today... What's going to happen to you in the course of a week if you try to live by those slogans? I mean, reach out and touch someone. What were they thinking? Have it your way. Yeah, you're going to end up in jail. But many people 
form life systems. This is what he's combating. If you look at your look in your Bible and look at verse 12, notice the quotation marks. He's quoting. Sometimes he quotes things in this letter that they have misconstrued. Something that he said, it happens all the time. I preach, you take it away and say, he said that, or he didn't say that. Paul has to write then again and correct it. But here he's, what most people are believed that what he's doing, he's combating slogans that they're living by as Christians. Let's look at a couple of them. Verse 12, you see the, you see the quotation marks. He's basically, this is, this is the slogan. Because I'm in Christ, I'm free to do anything. Right? And I don't have time to explain that today, but there's an element, we've, we've been singing about that if you're paying attention. There's an element of truth in that if you're a true, regenerate child of God. It's part of the Corinthian theology that Christian believers have been granted liberty from the law. They're not the only ones that struggled with taking a, a truth and abusing it. Romans, the letter to the Romans apparently are having the same trouble. You remember chapter 6, a very important chapter in Romans. Remember, remember Paul said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He brings that question up because they were thinking, I'm going to keep sinning because the more I sin, the more grace comes. They were using it to justify their sin. He's got another slogan here. Notice at verse 13. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Here's what they're doing with that slogan in their practical life. God gave me appetites. And it's right and fitting for me to satisfy those appetites. A couple of principles that I just want to bring to you this morning. Because we have a lot of ground to cover. But it's right, they're right there in verse 12 when he presents these slogans. And they're very helpful when we, when we were trying to put our, our self-intention. Because it's very true. We are regenerate. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's still a lot of, lot of selfish Stephen in me. Amen? There's still, there's still a lot of me that, that wants what I want. I want the Bible to mean what I want it to mean. So a couple of principles here are helpful. First is the principle of building up. He's going to explain this more. I'm just going to touch on it here. The principle of building up. People are thinking, since Christ has fulfilled the law, I can do as I please. And he said, no, you can't because you're in community with a body. And not everything is helpful. So you see the question? The question is not, is it a problem for you? The question you're asking, is it a problem for somebody else in the body of Christ? He's saying not everything is beneficial, is helpful, is profitable. Listen to this, a good quote. I sort of changed it a little bit, but it's, the idea is there from a quote. If everyone claims unqualified freedom, no one can be free. For everyone is threatened by the freedoms of others. Did you get that? If everyone is, claims unqualified freedom, no one is free because then your freedom encroaches on somebody else's freedom and then they not become free. Paul's helpful tip, and he's going to explain this in chapter 12, is God has given you what he's given you, what he calls the common good. 
You see, this is family. This is community from beginning to end. You can't even live a godly life if you're not living in community. It's hard to be. It's impossible to be a Christian and not be connected to a family. According to the Bible. Principle. Building up. If you're not living in community, it makes no sense, does it? (laughs) Building up. The second principle is of that of enslavement. Do you see that? All things are lawful for me. There's truth in that. But what does he say? I'm not going to be dominated by anything. That's the principle of enslavement. This makes more sense at the end. He said, we are not supposed to be a slaves to our appetites. That's the principle. Very helpful. Turn with me to Galatians. Speaks about freedom there. Very helpful. The Bible explains itself. It keeps itself in tension. And sometimes it just takes us a little while in studying Scripture to find these tension, tension verses. Galatians 5 verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom. Listen to what he says. As an opportunity for the flesh. But use your freedom. You've got to read that back. See that? But use your freedom through love to what? Serve one another. This is what we are free to do. He's saying you're absolutely free to do what is profitable for those in your family with absolute freedom. They keep in check. Keep your appetites in check that you are not becoming a slave to them. You see, the Corinthian church used these slogans in an absolute way and they have brought two things together. Paul's going to deal with the food issue that God has given me appetites for food. I should satisfy them. God has given me sexual appetite, so I should, I should satisfy them. So what he's doing now is He's separating what they have put together. He's going to make some points. Our, body, our bodies are designed for God. And our bodies are destined for glory. Our bodies. Our bodies are designed for God. Look at verse 13. Look at the second half. This second half of this verse cannot be meditated and thought about enough. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Go back and get it then. The body is meant for who? The Lord. Your body is not meant. It's not designed for sexual immorality. Our bodies are designed for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Said, There's just... So he's separating. You see, the Greco-Roman culture thought of fornication as something that was indifferent. They did not see that a man could have a mistress and a concubine and a wife and is doing anything wrong. They didn't see going to a prostitute as immoral. Here's how Paul makes his point. Food has a purpose in your body. Here's his purpose. You're, you've put something together that don't fit. Because sexual immorality, listen, 
It's what God is saying to you this morning. Sexual immorality serves no purpose to fulfill what God designed our bodies for. Pornea serves no purpose. This is foundation for chapter 7 of marriage. Foundational. Sexual immorality serves no purpose to fulfill what God designed us for. And if we don't understand it, we don't understand nor value marriage as we should. Our body is created with a special relationship with the Lord, just like the body is created with a special relationship between your stomach and food. He said, don't you put pornea in there. It doesn't fit. You are created for God. That's just a profound thought. Ephesians 5.23. We studied this a few weeks ago. For the husband is the head of the wife, even if Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. The body is designed for union with Christ and for bringing God glory. Because our bodies are not only designed right now for the Lord, Our bodies are destined for glory. Destined for glory. This was, this was, you're talking about Greek to us. This was Greeks to the Greco-Romans. Our bodies are destined for glory. This is what he said. Look at verse 14. And God raised the Lord. You can't understand most of in Scripture if you do not trust in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God raised the Lord and will raise also And will also raise us up by his power. Just as Christ was raised bodily. So will we. Even more clear. If you've got your Bibles flipped back just a little bit. To Romans again. Romans 8 chapter 11. Romans 8 chapter 11. Our bodies are destined for glory. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your what? Mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's his point. It does not matter whether you've been dead one year or a thousand years or whether your body is still together or whether your, your body is dust. When Christ returns bodily, He will raise that body and it will be not something other than a body. It will be your body glorified, used to praise Him, to worship Him, and to serve Him forever. thought about that this week. I don't talk about it much. We all get older. We all start hurting, right? You know, some young people are not hurting right now. You're like, you don't know what I'm talking about. One day you will. I've worked hard with my hands. My hands hurt all the time. Because they're wore out and now they got arthritis. I don't know where that arthritis came from. Probably the garden. You know, you, and you can't move them. Here's what he's saying. One day when Christ res- comes again, he will resurrect this body. And with my glorified hands, I will serve him forever. These hands, these hands are glorified. Your body belongs to the Lord. It is for him to be used now, and one day He will resurrect it, and He will glorify it, and with that body you will praise the Lamb. That's the good news. That's what He uses to motivate us towards holiness. The destiny of your body is not to perish, but to share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Makes this point. 
Your relationship between digestion and food is going to go pass away. It's going to change. I don't have the answers for all of that. But it's going to change. The relationship between me and my Jesus is eternal. It's good news today. No matter what you're going through in life. No one can take it away. Therefore, brothers and sisters, what we do in our physical body matters. That's his point. And now what he's doing, now what he's made his point, that your physical body matters. It was designed by God to be used by God the way he designed it to be, and it is destined for glory. He now takes your individual body and he makes it a part of Christ's body. Do you see it? Our bodies are right now members of Christ. Look at verse 15. Do you not know? Now pause for a second. You remember last week, these rhetorical questions that Paul's doing? He's going back to that, do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Let's keep reading. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one flesh with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. So what he's doing right here is called a syllogism. He's making an argument. You don't believe there's apologetics and defense in the Bible. Here's one. He's simply making a logical argument. And here's what it, uh, syllogism is. If premise one is true and premise two is true, then three has to be the conclusion. So the first premise is in verse 15. The bodies of Christians are members of Christ himself. Now, members here means any individual portion of an entire organism. You with, you with me on that? He now takes us as a body, and he says, we are individually members of Christ himself. You are not a liver out running around on your own if you're saved. There's no such thing as a saved individual liver. We are part of a body. That's what he's teaching us. He's using the very things that we understand to make his first premise. The bodies of Christians are members of Christ. We're individually a portion of something in its entirety. Second premise. Sexual relations unites two human beings together. And when he does that, he quotes Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. So premise one, the bodies of Christians are, are members of Christ himself. Premise two, sexual relation unites two human beings together. Then he asks this question. This is very stark. It's meant to be a man going to a, looking at pornography at, at, at night while his wife is asleep. Doesn't want anybody to uncover it. He's being stark here. He says, shall you take your member and make it one with a prostitute? It leads to an obvious conclusion, doesn't it? Sexual relationships in this situation with a prostitute unites the members of Christ with that prostitute. Every one of its members, Christ himself. This is why he said the emphatic in your text, never, 
is loud three exclamation points. Never may it be so. To join in verse 16 means to make one thing. To look at porn as a believer is to join Christ's body to that pornea. To engage in an extramarital affair, whether it is online or in person, joins Christ himself to that pornea. That's what he's claiming is. He said, may it never be so. In verse 17, he said, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes a one spirit with him. Be careful. When we come up with little clever cliches like we're a soul who has a body or we're a body who has a soul. You are a whole person that cannot be separated. And when we sin, we sin with all of us. And because we are in Christ together, when we sin, it affects us all and it affects our union with Christ. That's what he's teaching us this morning. Therefore... Therefore, we must pursue holiness. You see, he's using two metaphors. One is Christ's body, that we are members of Christ's body. And next, he says, we are a God-indwelled temple. These metaphors are all through Scripture. They're meant to help us understand and to urge us to pursue holiness because of who we are. We are a member of Christ. And we are a temple of God. Look at verse 18. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. This, is, this should give us pause. <laughs> yes, sin is sin. Sin is sin. And all sin, listen to me, don't come up, go out feeling some way today. If you're in Christ, your sins have been forgiven, period. But what he is getting at with those that are playing around with sexual sin is that it has a uniqueness in its destructive effect in your life and in the body of Christ's life. Sexual sin harms you in every way imaginable. Mind, body, soul, emotions. Proverbs 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Matter of fact, you go back and read the chapter before, chapters 5 and 6, he's speaking to his son. He's passionately about this. And so based off of everything that we said, based off what he's already said, that we are designed by God for Him. We are destined for glory. We are members of Christ. Therefore, He says, run and keep on running from it. <laughs> That's His advice. Almost all commentators agree that He's got Joseph in mind here. Remember? Genesis 39, and Potiphar's wife kept saying, lay with me, lay with me, and he left his, left his tunic or whatever and went out. What, what was he doing? He was doing the forest gump. He was going to run and keep on running. That's what he's recommending to us today. We first, we must pursue holiness by realizing there's a high cost to sexual sin. And listen, pardon my bad grammar, it ain't worth it. That's what he's, if he hasn't made that point to as a believer today, you may not be a believer. 
Because believers hear what he has just taught us and says, no way I'm getting near that stuff. We must pursue holiness by running from sexual sin. Flee it. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from pornea, sexual immorality. If you hadn't listened to anything I've said, listen to what I'm saying right now. This is critical. Your sexuality is a beautiful thing given to you by God. But it was given to you by God to display His very nature and character. Therefore, it can only be displayed if we use it the way He has intended to use it. Why is that true? Because your sexuality is meant to display God's faithfulness to His people and His special love and commitment only to them. Do you understand this in marriage? Because we're fixing to go there. It is in that realm and only in that realm that we can display the Imago Dei that our God is faithful to His people and He will not step out on them. Though they step out on Him. He is faithful. The Bible is not devaluing sex. It is lifting it to its highest level. By saying it is a gift from God. Given to us. To express God's character. And when we do it. We do it with our whole person. And when we do it how God has given us to do it. It is beautiful. And it, listen, it glorifies God. When you do it outside of God's design, you treat your sex, your sexuality like going to the bathroom. Anywhere will do. It's not what God intended it to be. You see, it is a picture of God's grace. And so he tells us we should pursue holiness. Look at verse 19 and 20. Because of God's amazing grace. This is all grace here. Everything we have comes from God. It says it again in, the next, in his next letter. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from who? God. just want you to see three things here in this text. This grace. It's what we're going to remember, brothers and sisters. The tables are set. What you're doing is actually calling yourself right now, verse 19 and 20, to begin to remember something. It's true about you if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ today, according to our text and the whole of Scripture, we, right now, are the dwelling place of God. The body is where the Holy Spirit has taken up residence. And He's taken up residence and you and me, in just a minute, we're going to remember what it cost for the Holy Spirit to take up residence in us. We are going to remember. We are going to call to mind as we take these elements together that we do not belong to ourselves. Brothers, listen to me if you're playing around with this. No, you don't have the right. 
You don't have the right to take your bodies in your own hands and use it as you see fit. And you don't have the right to dishonor women of whom you are called to protect. You don't have the right. Why? Because you don't belong to you. You have been bought with a price. All of you. This is what he's going back up to verse 12 to say, nothing's going to enslave me. Why? Because I don't belong to me. Everything I have, I've been given, including my body, is His. Why do we not belong to ourselves? Look in verse 20. You were bought with a price. No. No, this text does not mean that Christ purchased your freedom. This, in context, is a change of ownership. It's a change of ownership. That's the context. You are a slave of sin and you have been purchased and now you are a slave of righteousness. You are a slave of the devil and now you are a slave of God. And if you have trouble with that, we need to wrestle with the Lordship of Christ. We belong to Christ. And how we treat our bodies determines how we see the Lordship of Christ. Brothers and sisters, and I urge you this morning, as it has in the preacher, it, is, it behooves us to hit the pause button this morning and say, what's the implication of that? You have been bought. You have been ransomed. We're gonna, we have been singing it, and we're about to sing. You know what we're going to do in heaven? Revelation 5, 9, and he sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people. For God. Quote. Believers must remember. That they. Even their bodies. Are the object of redemption. Having been purchased by the blood of Christ. And therefore. Should be devoted to his glory. That's the therefore. Glorify God in your body. I can also say this. Glorify God with your body. You see it? He's given us a body. He's saying use it, all of it, to make me look good. Don't want you just thinking you're just supposed to spend your life running from something. 2 Timothy 2.22, I don't think that's in your notes. 2 Timothy 2.22 Paul speaking to Timothy, young pastor. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That's what you pursue. That's how we bring glory to God. What I've found in my own life as I've Over and over, really, but especially when you deal with a text like this and you first apply it to yourself. Most of my blind spots in life are simply comfort zones. Right? You just don't have to define that for you. You know what your comfort zones are. Well, we have to ask ourselves if it's not, they're not blind spots because really they're idols. There's something that I say. I need. Here's my question I ask myself. How can I see what I can't see? <laughs> you know? 
They don't call them blind spots. You know, I wouldn't have backed into that tree if I could have really seen it. So I ask you, the simple, goofy illustration, how is the only way I could have seen that tree if somebody else would have called out to me and said, hey, (laughs) the tree back there, I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that we think we can do this by ourselves. And listen, I mean this with love today. If you're telling me that you believe this book, and this book is all you need, and you are not actively involved in the community of faith, you do not believe the book. To believe the book is to believe that we need the book and the Holy Spirit and each other. To bring God glory in our life. And I cannot do it without you. You grabbed this this morning. So if you were the devil, what would you attack? Our relationships to our most intimate people in our lives. The devil loves to stir it. Because he keeps us from pursuing holiness. And it keeps us off the mission of God. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, I invite you to the table. There's multiple responses. This table is for believers. This table is, does not save you. You cannot come and take the pay, the, partake of these elements and be somehow mystically saved. One can only be saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He will not only forgive you, listen to me, He will adopt you into His family and He will cover you with His holiness, His goodness, and His grace. That's the gospel. Repent and believe. Maybe that needs to be your response today. Here's what I'm praying, and I hope you are praying it. Lord, if I've got blind spots in my life today, reveal them to me. Because believers don't want to have these spiritual blind spots. We don't want to justify something that does not honor Christ. But brothers and sisters, ultimately this morning, I pray that you will respond by coming to tables. By remembering verses 19 and 20. We were bought with a high price. We remember when we come to the tables. When you take those elements in your hand. Your body is a gift from God. And listen to me. He purchased it with his blood. We have one life to live. Let us not waste it. And let us remember. Let this stir us up. Today. And let us remember when we come to the table that the blood of Christ joined us inseparably together forever. We glorify God in that. So if you've got your Bibles, let us prepare ourselves now for the table with Luke. You can keep this in your lap and just a minute as as we sing, we're all going to come and take both elements and go back to your seat. Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 14, I was studying, by the way, thank you for allowing me to serve, I don't thank you enough for that, because you see, me and I was studying, and Micah was studying, he sends me this text how we work together. It's how the sermon and the music comes together. I just read this verse 14. When the hour came, 
came, brothers and sisters. This is what we are remembering this morning. His hour came in His body. He came not to give us this best life now. He came not to be some kind of moral example. He came to purchase a people for God. And we are those people. The hour came. And he reclined at the table. He reclined at the table with his apostles. They were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17 says he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So brothers and sisters, let us go to God in prayer. Let us come to the foot of the cross today where we can receive forgiveness. Let us spend a minute remembering. Let's pray. Lord, as we have heard a very loving message. Oh, how you love us. That you don't want your children playing with snakes and scorpions splashing around in mud puddles. As another one of your brothers said, you created us for a holiday at the sea. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have given me, brothers, all through my life that have loved me enough to correct me. And I pray that's true of everybody in here. Oh, God, you purchased that privilege with your son's blood. We thank you for it today. You not only saved me individually, you've brought me into a family. And Lord, we confess to you now, all of us, and you know this is true, Lord, that we're not a perfect family. We get aggravated with each other, we hurt each other, we sometimes distance ourselves from each other. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. And we thank you that we are not saved by our works, but by your grace. And so, Lord, we need only to come to our Abba this morning and say, Father, we're, we're sorry for the way we have treated you. We are sorry for the way we've treated our own bodies. And we are sorry for the way we've treated each other often. And thank you. That even now, right now, we are forgiven because of the blood of your Son and His power.
And so now, Lord, would you allow us a minute together to remember To remember that your body was broken for us. And that your blood was shed for us. So Lord, will you allow us to sing. To sing for your glory today. And then God, would you allow us to be renewed in our body, in our mind, in our spirit. To leave here. To scatter from this place. And to make followers of Christ wherever we are and wherever we live. God, allow us today to remember. Pray this in the name of your Son, who was given as an offering for us. His name is Jesus. Amen. Stand with us. Let's come to the tables.